This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Hey guys, this is Amanda and Rachel, and we are so excited to be sitting down with Kari Francis. She is based in New York City, and she is an amazing acapella professor, <laughs> teaching people all about, you know, sort of arranging and producing and singing. So welcome, Kari. How are you? Oh gosh, I'm so great. Thank you for such a nice introduction. I feel <laughs> I'm so, I'm verklempt. Oh, verklempt. You're speaking my language. <laughs> oh, nice. oh, very good. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into acapella, however many moons ago that was. <laughs> however many fortnights have yes. passed. <laughs> yeah, no, yes, of course. Um, I mean, I think like many of us, I sort of stumbled in from kind of a more choral background. I grew up singing in a uh, Renaissance acapella group, and that's, you know, technically what it was, even though we didn't really use the word acapella, except to just describe part of the instrumentation style, but certainly not the performance practice. Got to college and uh, actually auditioned for my top choice group, and of course, didn't make it in. <laughs> um, and but that ended up being uh, a blessing in disguise because I ended up in a different group where I sort of started firmly the, the bottom most rung and kind of worked my way up learning a little bit about vocal percussion and arranging and directing that I might not have gotten to do had I gotten into that other group. So it, it really ended up working out pretty well. And then I was super lucky that a mutual friend of someone in the group was at UCLA and I think had just graduated and wanted to start a festival there. And that was called the LA Acapella Festival. So that was its first year, I think in 2009 or eight, maybe as a group, we went there and that was my first sort of festival experience and seeing kind of a headlining act and kind of understanding that there was this professional world of acapella that wasn't just kind of the collegiate groups that I'd only seen to that point, which was just kind of blowing the lid off of everything. And so that I think sparked a lot of curiosity and wanting to explore more and ended up going to more festivals and meeting more people. And, and so I, I was very lucky in that there were people who saw what enthusiasm I had, even though, you know, I had total ignorance for so many things and they were very kind and just so generous and helpful in the way they sort of mentored me into particular directions that have really informed where I've ended up since. So that's that's probably the long and short of it. Yeah. And in those 10 years, plus or minus, right? <laughs> Something like that. Something yes. so yeah. old. We're so old. What sort of growth, <laughs> what, what changes have you seen? What do you think the biggest change has been in that time? In general technology, I mean, especially in the space of 10 years, we, we know the rate at which any computer software becomes obsolete and it's replaced by a new and better one. So the proliferation of like home recording studios and sort of DIY projects like that have made so many more, I guess, creating of like artifacts and records, like literal records, but also, of course, like recorded singles and, and albums and things of groups who maybe even 10 years ago wouldn't have had access to that technology. That's really exciting because I think that's put a lot of people down the path to either just being familiar with that sort of side of production or really actually pursuing it seriously. That's been really, really fun to watch some people really dig into that. Yeah. And then I, yeah, and then I guess in general, just sort of the, the change in sort of scope and ultimately, I I guess the quality threshold, I feel like even at its most basic, it has risen tremendously. And I think you have in many respects, the sort of popularity and exposure that we've seen with you know, obviously the straight note chasers and pentatonixes of the world and hopefully groups like Decapella and sort of everything else that's going along with that as well. So that what we used to complain about 10 years ago, as far as the mistakes groups would make, mm -hmm. <laughs> as, as heartless as that might sound, that learning curve seems to be moved through so much more quickly now. And it seems like groups can really start to pick up the really the more fun parts of this style of music making and don't have to get hung up on these things that we used to really get hung up on. Yeah. So that for me has been really exciting to see for sure. And what about... 
ask your question. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) And then I wanted to sort of jump to, since this is a podcast that focuses mostly on women, I wanted to ask what challenges have you specifically seen that you've either experienced yourself in and that may have improved over the last 10 years? And what challenges do you think we still face? Ah, That's a great question. So just to clarify, when you say women, you mean like women passing or female passing or female identifying? Yeah, Mm -hmm. female identifying. Cool, cool, cool. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and and I guess to that end, I've, uh, I mean, especially maybe working in kind of a big urban space and kind of having come from a small semi-rural town, not just... I guess, female perspectives, but sort of gender fluidity in general, I feel like is is maybe becoming a, a little bit more, uh, we're less ignorant about it now. Um, and we still got plenty of work to do and a long way to go. And I'm really lucky that I get to be a part of a chorus that is, for the most part, female identifying. And if you were to look at us, you might describe us as an all-female chorus, but we are not that, or at least we don't use that terminology to describe ourselves. And breaking out of that, having been in what was an all-female group in college, that was kind of the only way we really saw ourselves, at least when we were describing sort of this very literal heteronormative presentational aspect we found ourselves kind of conforming to. And luckily, that seems to be at least thought about and scrutinized in a way now that thinking back 10 years ago, at least in my case, I can only speak for, has definitely changed and seems to be changing for the better. And again, acknowledging that there's so much more work to be done there. But yeah, so I mean, I guess, and navigating those changes and being mindful and sensitive to other people's needs within that and understanding that their needs are different than mine, maybe potentially, and sort of learning how to see and hopefully prioritize those things. For me, it's been a, I mean, super enlightening, super edifying, but also challenging along the way because you're always wanting to make sure that the people around you and the people that you're working with feel respected and feel empowered to really make their best music. So that's something I'm always working on and I feel like is always a challenge, but hopefully, you know, kind of a, a noble struggle in that you're hoping to really make sure that everybody feels elevated. Do you see lights at the end of that tunnel? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, and uh, Amanda mentioned the BHS a little while ago, and they, you know, recently have this, you know, Harmony for All vision where they're really trying to open their doors and incorporate as many singers as possible as part of that. And that is, I think, one example of a place where that's where they're trying to, it's like where the light is maybe being sparked <laughs> and it's still at the end of the tunnel. It's still, it's still a ways off. So I think, you know, the systems for actually, you know, logistically accommodating everyone, I think, will get sussed out over time. I think it's interesting because it does leave the other organizations that maybe do identify more along traditionally in even maybe slightly more conservative gendered lines in a tricky place of sort of defining or redefining themselves and thinking about and justifying the ways in which gender plays into their vision for the future and, you know, in their particular singing style. I think there is a light at the tunnel, (laughs) but I I think we're going to get there in different ways, I guess. Sure. And it makes me wonder too, for things like various, well, competitions, but also how we define uh, when we give awards and things like that. They typically say best female group, best male group. You know, how do we move that back along so that it is more inclusive? Because we see, I mean, we see a lot of college groups, at least I do, I speak with them and they're very thoughtful to the topic that you're talking about. They talk about mm-hmm. um, LGBTQ groups, like, you know, um, and they don't call themselves all female or all male groups. They call themselves, you know, sort of all inclusive groups. And so it makes me wonder, how do we push that further? That's a great question. I feel like that's a question we'll still be, <laughs> we, we hopefully will still be asking, but in ways that hopefully will also reflect the progress we've made along those lines. There's there's a lot that can be said there. I mean, I I think I remember the first time in undergrad, I think I, it was like a, a Southeast Asian acapella group that I saw for the first time. And that was interesting to me because there's, it revealed to me, I guess, for the first time, unfortunately for me, it's just an ignorant, <laughs> like 
bumbling sort of backwards person at the time that I and many benefit from sort of the privilege of being normal or neutral or a cishet, able-bodied white woman that I, I get to benefit from all these assumptions of normality. And that when you see an ensemble that is defining themselves in terms of what we perceive as otherness, that's maybe more our problem than it is theirs. Um, not to be totally reductive about, you know, it's maybe not so easy to, to blame one side over the other. I feel like there is even an element of that, I guess, within sort of the larger scope of music education and how we kind of frame Western music in particular and the role of men within that. And again, not to stigmatize or sort of blame anyone in particular. It's it's certainly no one's fault. It's, you know, not to be negative, it's many faults. Yeah, no, it's collectively <laughs> all of our faults, right? Like, in okay, some exactly, exactly. Um, we all have work to do. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. And so I, I guess if we could maybe recast that, I understand wanting to find categories through which to congratulate and reward success and excellence, right? And I think that was maybe the origin of some of those categories. Absolutely. Right. So I think it's possible to reconsider and maybe recast the wording in such a way that it doesn't have to do with gender, because even that can maybe impose certain limitations or certain assumptions that maybe don't necessarily fit the current cultural climate or maybe the social climate that we want to be moving toward. And what we is, you know, either CASA or Varsity Vocals or whatever organization it happens to be want to reflect, because we do certainly want to make sure that we're moving forward in a way that is, again, just in the spirit of elevating everyone, making sure that that is done in a really mutually sensitive and respectful way. Yeah, good. Um, (laughs) Amanda, do you want to jump in? Sure, I have some questions. Um, So on a different topic, a lot of people may recognize you as a vocal percussionist and contemporary style artist, but you actually do so much more than that. I'd like to hear a little bit more about all of the other things that you do that maybe some of your initial fans haven't seen or heard about. Oh, shucks. Yes, let me address my entire fan base. No, no, no. But that's that's a great question. I feel like that is, uh, sorry, not a great question. Like, yes, let me talk about myself. But but acknowledging that <laughs> those of us who might be working in this thing called acapella in whatever form it might take for us personally or for a larger community probably also have our, you know, our, what's the phrase? Uh, fingers in a lot of pies? Yeah, I don't know. yeah, yeah. Is that the one uh, we might have? Yes. Our fingers in it. I can't even say it naturally. I'm just like, something about me. Is, is you have like, other <laughs> and varied interests. How about that? Food. Yeah, exactly. Um, have a, other varied interests and also involvement in other types of projects that may or may not be musical. So for me, I'm lucky to work in such a big, varied city where I can, I think, maybe a little bit more easily than in some other places really get quickly involved in uh, a really sort of wide variety of project types. So I luckily get to work during the day. I work with a teaching artist organization. So that's a program through which I get to go into schools and essentially work with their administrations to sort of concoct some sort of usually a chorus or a choir in a school that either is supplementing an existing program or is adding one where there's not. So that is how I, <laughs> how I interact with the youngins. Um, and I, and I feel like that's always a great test if you're a music teacher of any stripe, even if you prefer to work at the high school and collegiate level, I think it's always a good test of your ability to see if you can survive a chorus of <laughs> like 50 to 70 elementary kids. And again, not saying you have to focus there and I don't think it'll be my eventual focus, but it, it really puts you to the test. So that's my during the day. And then there's, which is in lower Manhattan, they have the Manus Conservatory of Music. And I'm really lucky that I get to direct a chorus there. Um, that's just called the New School Chorus. And it's a mix of just so many awesomely different populations. It's like music majors who are vocalists, music majors who are not vocalists, community members. That's a ton of fun. And so we, we get to sing a lot of fun, really different music. So that's really cool. 
cool. And then, of course, I think I mentioned the chorus that I'm in is called Sirens of Gotham. And that is a Sweet Adeline's chartered chorus uh, that sings a lot of music in the barbershop style, but also sings contemporary acapella and some classical music as well. And then I also sing with Downtown Voices, which is in a part of the Trinity Wall Street family. I think that's it for now. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not leaving out too many things. We'll check back in next week. Okay. <laughs> Could be different. But yeah, I'm really lucky that I get to jump around to, to these different things and, and also jump in and out of New York as well. We've got, so that's very fun as well to jump into these festivals. And that also usually takes on a couple different shapes and forms as well. So yes, I feel very lucky. So you've taught some classes and you're working with people that aren't coming into this with a lot of experience. How do you introduce them to this art form in a way that is welcoming and tend to get really into the weeds and we have our own language. How do you take a step back and welcome these newbies in in a way that's easy to understand? Oh man, that's a that's a great <laughs> it's a great question in that it's always an ongoing challenge because you are trying to read whoever your audience is and understand that they're not even though they're newbies, they're not gonna be the same. They're not gonna have the same needs every time. So that's a that's funny you brought that up because that's really really a challenge <laughs> an ongoing one but it's really fun i i think across my music teaching in particular when it has to do with a vocal topic and uh, if i know that i'm working with sort of amateur performers or even new singers we'll try to pick up on some of the like absolute basics that i i would hope that they maybe have some familiarity with and that would be something as simple as sound effects even like imitating certain bird calls or you know things that almost are like sort of nursery rhyme ish in their like complexity but at the same time you're asking for for a particular vulnerability of them in sort of their participating in that at all. And even that can be a lot for some people. So really recognizing that this thing that is very comfortable for us to use, like this mechanism right here, the voice, for some people that might be a very scary prospect. And so understanding that you can really scaffold it slowly and in that slow, sort of the slow burn of making them more familiar with different parts of their voice through hopefully building on familiar experiences, that that really does become worthwhile and that really becomes the foundation for any other vocal exploration that you do. And then with big groups, I usually try to do kind of the, the typical intermission slash, you know, beatbox feature where, you know, you take a chunk of them and they're doing a little hi-hat, simple hi-hat pattern. And, you know, some of them are leaders within that and some of them maybe are followers, but regardless, they're all doing the same thing or at least something similar. And then, you know, someone else has a, a snare and someone else has a bass. And so you make this sort of big, giant conglomerate monster of, of beatbox sounds. And I think one of the best times that went for me was... Uh, uh, actually with a, a school that I worked with up in the Bronx, where as soon as it got going, I think it was like the older kids, so like the fourth and fifth graders started just improvising and doing their own rhythms and sounds and things. And it just kind of grew, it just grew into this sort of wonderful big thing that I couldn't have possibly led them in. And so some of those magic moments happen. And so I guess my goal is to try to put the seeds as much as I can in place in the hopes that in exploring their voices or exploring whatever music they are attracted to sort of within this vocal choral realm, that moments like that can happen. Yeah. Where it just sort of sprouts into something new that didn't exist before. Oh, I love it. This is so great. <laughs> I know. I've, I've not said a word, but I'm like, I'm just, I love listening. Yeah. Watching the kids catch on to something like that. It's pretty magical. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And adults too. And, yeah. and maybe perhaps even more so sometimes because they're coming from, you know, whereas a, an eight or 10 year old is maybe a little bit more apt to jump into these things in a certain way. Sometimes working with undergrads who have never really sung before or even adults who have never sung before that it's, you know, it's obviously impressive, but and 
it can re- also represent overcoming maybe so much more culturally or socially for, sure. for them to participate in that. Some of those moments have also been just so, so inspiring to see people really take that leap because it can be so big for some people. Yeah. Watching that, that moment of connection that, and when mm-hmm. you see people just get it, it's really beautiful. I feel like it's the joy in our world, right? To be able to help somebody get to that spot of sort of either feeling comfortable or understanding or a new skill. All of that is it's a really special connection that you can make. Oh, yeah. Definitely. In the next, I don't know, year or two, where do you hope that acapella goes? What would you like to see the direction that the genre takes? Ooh. Oh, boy. <laughs> so many, so many things there. Interesting. It's funny. As soon as you asked that, my memory just went back to... So I think I mentioned that I sort of grew up in this like renaissance group. Um, and I sang in it with my dad. Yeah. It was kind of his group. And that's... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was like all the all the parents didn't want to like get babysitters. So they just brought their kids to rehearsal. And suddenly there was like that's a awesome. kids group that <laughs> formed out of that. Um, so yeah, I was just like a happy, happy happenstance. But he used to talk about acapella in terms of like a very sort of purist sense of like, not only is it not voices... Or sorry, not only is it only voices and not any instrumental accompaniment. Uh, but it's also not microphones. It's also not, you know, any sort of amplification other than what literally is coming from the voice. And while I think from a historical perspective or even a stylistic one, it's helpful to have that definition in your back pocket if you really want to go down that route, because some people do. At the same time, I think the more we are able to access technologies like Ableton and like, you know, DJ style, like mixing equipment for live performance. I think the more we can begin to be comfortable integrating some of those technologies into our performance, I think we can really start to push this in new and interesting ways. And maybe ones that via those technologies start to help us transcend some of these other very sort of gendered vocal stereotypes or performance type stereotypes that have been sort of the product of, you know, so many centuries of, of really gender specific types of vocal treatment treatment and vocal practice. And I'm not saying that we should eliminate those entirely and nor would this do that. I'm excited for, I guess, yeah, interdisciplinary integration (laughs) as we might use it to really enhance this and really expand our sound world. Because I know that I love listening to acapella and vocal and choral music, but I almost always need a palate cleanser. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we'll really often enjoy listening to anything but those things in certain times. And I think we can we can think about ways of expanding that so that (laughs) maybe things like that aren't as necessary. Yeah. And it doesn't always Mm. have to be either or. I'd love for to see us get away from that because it can be all of those things. And that's kind of what makes it wonderful. Indeed. 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 Well, Kari Francis, it has been such a delight to speak with you. Oh my gosh, Rachel, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to me. And- <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, so that was Kari Francis. She's from many things, Sirens of Gossip, Downtown Voices, Educator, Innovator. And um, <laughs> we just appreciate so much your time. Thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Next up, one of the things that I want to talk about is about being interviewed. And as part of my role in Acaville, one of the things that I do a lot of is interview groups. So I have I have a lot of opinions about this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear your opinions. Like I've done a bunch of interviews. And I've interviewed you. Jobs. Yes, you have <laughs> interviewed me. I have. But some interviews feel like they go really well and other ones you're just like, hmm, what, what happened there? So yeah. I bet you have some insight for everybody. I think I do. I hope I do. And so, uh, you know, as a group, there are times you have opportunities to be interviewed either by your local radio station, by your local newspaper, by your school paper, by by us, by Acaville. And <laughs> Come be interviewed by us. It's super fun. Yes, I would love that. So uh, Rachel at Acaville.org. One thing that I, I mean, I think the biggest thing is 
know your group. Um, mm-hmm. Know your group and know the things that make your group unique. That I think is a really big part of being interviewed. I would say also don't put the person who's going to give one word answers to questions as the forefront. Because I'm often in the position where I'm asking questions that I feel like are relatively open-ended and I get one or two words or sentences maybe from the person who's responding. And I am, as an interviewer, I am looking to give you an opportunity to shine. I am giving you, this is a platform for you to promote your group and to say all the things that are awesome about you. So if I ask you a question about like, what are the things that you do throughout the year? Don't tell me like we have some concerts. Yeah, definitely be more specific. I noticed this last year, I interviewed all of the groups that were going to ICCA finals. And I almost made an outtake reel of each of them telling me that their group is like a family. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's lovely. And I'm so excited that these groups are getting that close. But what is it like? Right. That seems like a really generic response at this point. Why are you a family? Like what makes you guys so close? Like, what have you done? What have you experienced? Yes. People want to know these answers. They don't want to just hear the same canned responses every single time. Agreed. But it was pretty funny. I should I should just edit it all together for everyone to see because it's hilarious. Oh, I can give you some clips that do that. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, too, one thing that's, I feel like, really important to know, like, off the top of your head when you're being interviewed is how your group got started. You would be shocked <laughs> at the number of people that I have given this question to of, like, so tell me how your group got started and they don't remember the names of the founders they don't know how long ago it was they don't but why would we need to know that rachel what's so important about that (laughs) this may be obvious but not everybody is in your group and they don't know you and while you may have obviously very intimate knowledge about sort of how your group generated and the feelings that the group evokes my purpose as an interviewer is to try and get you to convey those details to the people who want to love you I want them to love you. Let me love you, everyone. Let me love you. Right? And this is a chance to get people to love you. Put your cleverest, cleverest. Um, <laughs> clearly, that's not me. But um, really, we totally need some coffee right now. But. <laughs> Put your word nerdiest person in front of the interviewer and the person who's quick on their feet and will give snappy responses because that is how you show who you are. I would say definitely it's an opportunity to promote who you are and to give the people the chance to love you. Yeah. And I'd also, I tag on to that and I talk to my students a lot about this. There's no need to be this persona that you think people want you to be. I encourage my students to embrace their awkwardness figure out what makes them them, what feels most natural to them. And then, you know, as a performer, sometimes you have to exaggerate that a little bit. But I'd rather see you exaggerate the thing that is you rather than take on this attitude or personality that is not you just because you think that's what your audience wants to see. Absolutely. I think that it comes off as more authentic and more real and is more relatable than a persona. It's easier to keep up too. (laughs) Right. Because it's you. It's you. You're just being yourself. And I mean, 
you see so many artists that end up having to back off. We talked a lot about Miley Cyrus. She's now grown up and she went through this phase where she was trying to be this bad girl. And now we're seeing that like maybe that's not her. Right. And I think we see that in college acapella groups a lot too with the wave of emo capella. I mean, is that really you? I talked to you afterwards and you're a bubbly, happy person. And then you're singing <laughs> these just depressing songs on stage. Well, okay. Just to play counterpoint for a minute. Okay. I would argue that during high school and college, these are growing years and mm-hmm. you maybe don't know exactly who you are. So trying on different personas, I think is fair. I certainly did it. You know? <laughs> and I think it's okay to, to play with that. Absolutely. Yes. I would, I guess I would say at, when you're being interviewed though, like maybe don't bring it up to 11 right? Like maybe <laughs> five. Five seems like a good five amount great. of to bring. Yeah. I guess I would also say about being interviewed, know the story you want to tell, right? Like there's obviously people who are doing the interview are looking to hear about your group, but you have, I don't want to say an agenda, but there is something that you're trying to let people know, whether it's a new album that you're pushing or mm-hmm. auditions because you're looking for new members or a concert or whatever it is. Or even if you're just trying to get better, you're just trying, you know, your goals are to be an ICCA competing group or finalist. Let people know those goals. No one's going to read your mind. Exactly. I mean, yes, I think that it is important to share the thing that you are, that you're going for, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. And I think that the groups that I feel like I've had the most connection with, treat it like it's a conversation because it is. It's not a test. Interviews are not tests. And I am (laughs) not looking to trip you up. I am not looking to stump you. I'm not looking to embarrass you. My goal is to make you look the best you can possibly look. And to that end, I'm asking you questions that are open to give you, I don't know, to give you room to express yourself. So let's talk. And and, and I, I would encourage you to think of it as a conversation with another human being who's on the other end of the microphone. <laughs> I'm not like somebody who knows more or better than you about anything. I am just a human being who is curious about you. And I think that the people who listen to what I'm doing are curious about you too. So I'm hoping mm-hmm. that I am like a, a stand-in for them. Yeah. And that I'm just asking you the question, I think they want to know the answers too, but don't have an opportunity to ask. And people are drawn to passion. They want to hear what you're excited about, even if it feels really nerdy. I mean, they want to hear what makes you excited, what makes you tick, what makes the group tick. It's it's a lot simpler than I think people make it out to be. Absolutely. I've had so many groups like, oh, I'm really nervous. Oh, I'm really nervous. And, and I'm like, oh, don't be. Like, please don't be nervous. I'm, I, I try and be somebody who is easy to speak to and enthusiastic and effusive. And I do that because that's who I am, but also because I think it puts people at ease. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the best way to get a good interview is to be, I don't know, open and warm. So I, I would encourage, I guess, groups to think about that. Yeah. Talk like it's a no judgment zone, because if it is a judgment zone, then you're better than that. You don't have time for that. Certainly but it isn't not. here for sure. <laughs> And that about wraps up this week's episode of Vocal Perspective. Thanks for tuning in. We were so thrilled to speak with Kari Francis, who recently accepted a position as music faculty at the College of St. Rose in New York. So congratulations to her. If you'd like to learn more about Kari or reach out to her, please visit her website at karifrancis.com. That's K-A-R-I-F-R-A-N-C-I-S.com. Or you can look in the show notes. Next week, we'll be sitting down for episode three with Amy Engel. 
Heart, who sang with the Bobs from 1998 through 2011. In addition to singing with the Grammy-nominated Band Without Instruments, she's also a writer, arranger, composer, and lyricist, making her off-Broadway debut with Bastard Jones. Thanks for tuning in to Vocal Perspective, and Rachel and I will see you next week.